This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 3. Luke 17, beginning in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The question might be asked, how much does Jesus love us? How much does Jesus love me? And here's a way you can answer. This much. And of course it portrays the fact that he died on the cross for me and for you. And as we thought about that during the Lord's Supper, it should have moved us. I hope it did. It should have reinforced in our minds, he gave us everything. Shall we give him less? Shall we give him leftovers? A love like that demands our very best. And that's why we're here today. We want to know, Lord, what is the best? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to live? And here we are to be taught by his word, to worship him, to try to draw closer to him. And we're glad you're with us today. Again, I'm where you... Welcome all those who are visiting with us. We are glad you are here and hope you'll come back and join us anytime you can. And if we can help in any way, please let us know. We'd love to help if we possibly can. We're glad to see uh, visitors with us always, of course. Uh, among that number are some very special people. Uh, Carl and Lee Davis's daughter, Ginger, is with us today. Raise your hand there, Ginger. Won't make you stand up, but uh, she grew up among us now is in the Nashville area, and we're so glad to see her and uh, to know she's doing well. And uh, also uh, the Crookshanks, Bill and, and, and Harriet are with us today. I went over into their area to preach a gospel meeting last week, and they weren't, weren't able to come and join us. Uh, so they said, we're going to go hear him over there, I guess. <laughs> There's probably other reasons why they're here today, but uh, we love the Crookshanks, and it's always good to see them. And there are many others I know that I should mention by name, but uh, just uh, don't have it on my tongue. But we're glad you're here. But there is another group of, vis of people that are with us today that, uh, that deserve special recognition. We've tried to do that with the insert in the bulletin today, and we're talking about all those who have served in our nation's military. Whatever branch of service that may be, we are so thankful for you. And I'd like for you right now to stand for just a moment so we can give you a moment of silent appreciation. Would you stand if you have served in the military for our nation? And this may lead us to say, praise God. Thank you for all that you have done, and uh, we do appreciate your service. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. We're glad you're here. I uh, want you to come back and join us again this evening at 6 o'clock, Lord willing. We will meet at that time, 
I'm going to begin a short series of lessons on uh, a Christian glossary. And if you don't know what that word glossary means, that really means you need to be here tonight. But uh, we're going to look at some important concepts for Christians. And the first one that we'll look at is salvation. So if you're not sure what salvation means, why it's that important, let's come together and study from God's Word and, and try to get that in our minds. But uh, hope you've got your Bible with you. We're going to open it right now and try to learn, again, things that will help us greatly as we serve the Lord. Now, first of all, many of you are familiar with the term CEU, I, I trust. Uh, some of you are licensed to do the work that you do, and the requirement of your license may say you have to have so many units of continuing education every year. And therefore, you've got to make sure that you satisfy that, because if not, then you will lose your license, and uh, you'll not be able to practice. And we're glad, like in the field of medicine, we're glad that you have to continue to learn, because that means you're going to be on top of things, you're going to be on the, the cutting edge, doing the best you can. As Christians, we're not licensed by God, but you could say that we are expected to grow that there is that expectation that we will continually grow as we serve the Lord. And so that's the idea today. And, and what is it that we're to grow in? Well, one area in which we are to grow is our faith, our faith in God and in Christ. The alternative to that is stagnation, it is death, and we don't want that to happen. We don't want to have a, a stagnant faith we want it to be growing and strong and vibrant. And so we want to ask the question, how does that happen? How can we increase in our faith? And as you know, this year we've been talking about the theme of uh, a salt life, a faith life. Uh, you see the bumper stickers on many cars that says salt life, and it suggests the idea, I want to be at the ocean, I love being at the beach, that's what I'm thinking about all the time. Well, in our case, we ought to be thinking about our faith and the one in whom we have faith. How do we grow that? How do we increase that? That's the question that we're looking at this morning. Let's begin by looking at how Jesus' disciples are limited by little faith. Jesus' disciples are limited by little faith. If you go back to the passage that was read to us a few moments ago in Luke chapter 17, let's look at the idea there. Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus had just told the disciples, you've got to learn how to forgive one another. And then he said, you must forgive somebody seven times in a day if that is needed. If somebody sins against you seven times, and seven times in that same day they come back and say, forgive me, I have sinned, you are to forgive them. Have you thought of how hard that is to forgive somebody seven times in a day? We have trouble doing it twice in a lifetime. And no wonder the, the apostles responded the way they did. Look at what it says again in Luke 17, beginning in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And you can imagine what they're thinking. Lord, if you're asking us to forgive one another seven times in a day, 
we're going to have to have a whole lot more faith than we've got right now. So, Lord, increase our faith. But look at how Jesus responded to that in verse 6. The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And the idea there is, even if you have a tiny bit of faith, you can still do the will of the Lord. You can do amazing things, even if you have just a tiny bit of faith. And we look at that and we say, well, okay, that's good. I've got a tiny bit of faith, and therefore I'm okay, right? Why preach about growing our faith if a small amount of faith will do the job? Well, that's what leads us to this idea of little faith. If you go to Matthew chapter 8 now, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26, the disciples are on board a, a fishing boat with their Lord. They are crossing the Sea of Galilee. There is a storm that arises, and, and it's a bad one. And they're all afraid. I mean, these, some of these are, are professional fishermen. They've been on the water in a storm. They're scared. And yet Jesus is in the back of the boat, sleeping, and so we read this in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. He said to them, after they woke him up, they said, Lord, we're, we're perishing. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And notice that phrase there, little faith. Their faith was small. If they had had greater faith, they would not have been afraid, is the implication there. If you knew who I was, if you trusted what I could do, you would not have gotten so worked up about this. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find that phrase, little faith, five times. And in every one of those occurrences, the implication is, we could live a better life, we could have a more peaceful life, we could do more in the kingdom if we were not of little faith. And so the conclusion is, yeah, we can do a whole lot with a little bit of faith. Jesus said that. But should we be content with just a little faith? Should that make us say, well, there's no need for me to try to grow my faith? No, as we have seen with this phrase, little faith, that is a limitation. We are restricting our abilities, our peace, if we don't have something greater than little faith. And so now the question would be, if that's the case, how do I increase my faith? How do I respond? How does the Lord respond when I ask Him, Lord, how do I increase my faith? And I go to the Word of God, and I find at least three different responses to that question. Here are the ways that we can increase our faith if we want to be more active, more peaceful, enjoy this life more. Here's how we do it. Number one, to increase our faith, we must know the Word of God. You knew I was going to start with that, didn't you? I mean, that's one of the most obvious answers to the question, how do I increase my faith? How many times have you heard that statement in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17? You're going to hear it again right now. Listen to what it says. Romans 10 and verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
And that simply means that if I want to grow in my faith toward God, I need to know who He is. I need to know His expectations of me. I need to know what I am asked to do and and what I can do through Him. And yet I don't know any of that if I don't take time to read the Word of God. So the simplest place to begin is to pick up our Bibles and actually start reading and knowing the Word of God. Because the alternative, the alternative is found in Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. And again, this is a familiar statement to many of us. It describes what happened. And this is a time not too long after the people of Israel had come out of Egypt, after they had seen all those marvelous plagues and and the parting of the Red Sea. And yet it says in Judges 2 verses 10 and 11, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. How did that happen? How was it that they did not know the Lord or the work that they had done from Israel? Somebody had not been teaching their children. And it says there arose a generation that did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for them. So what's the result? Read on, verse 11. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals or the idols. Their hearts were turned away from God. They devoted themselves to idolatry. They did evil things. And how are we going to do any better? How are we going to do any better if we don't know the Word of God? Now, is that a problem in our day and time? Let me read to you something I found in an article entitled, The Crisis of Biblical Illiteracy, written by a fellow named Kenneth Birding. And listen to what he says in this article. Christians used to be known as people of one book. Sure, they read, studied, and shared other books, But the book they cared about more than all others combined was the Bible. They memorized it, meditated on it, talked about it, and taught it to others. We don't do that anymore. And in a very real sense, we're starving ourselves to death. Now, can you say, wait a minute, I'm an exception to that. Can you say that? Honestly, can you say, well, I make it a regular practice to read my Bible. And, and great, I pray that every one of us in this building right now can say that. But I suspect because of our society, because of all the distractions around us and all the busyness that we get into, sometimes we neglect. We neglect reading the Bible. So how are we going to grow our faith? How? If we don't read God's Word. So if you're serious about the idea of growing your faith, increasing in your faith, that's the simplest place to start, one that we can do, every one of us can. If we can't read, we can ask somebody to read it to us, or we can buy CDs or listen to it in other ways. We can know the Word of God if we want to. But let's move on. To increase our faith, it's not enough to know the Word of God Now we have to live the Word of God. We have to live the Word of God. James, in James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, 
notes the fact that it's not enough to, to receive the Word like you're doing right now, I suspect. Uh, it may be that you're all glazed over and you're not really listening, but I suspect most are. And so what's going to happen now? Listen to what he says, James 1, beginning in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's what I hope you're doing right now. That's what I hope I'm doing right now. Receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This word can save our souls. But then read on. Be doers, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And the idea is you can come to church and sit there and listen and say, that's a good sermon. But what good is it if we don't live it? That's what James is saying. Don't deceive yourself. Don't say, well, I, I listen to two sermons a week. I go to Bible class twice a week. I, I receive the Word of God. But are you living it? That's the question. And that's how faith grows. Jesus himself said that in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. You remember, he was being tempted by Satan. He was hungry. He had uh, fasted 40 days and nights. And now Satan said, if you are the Son of God, ju just command those stones to become bread and feed your body. And Jesus, quoting Scripture, said this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we live. We live by the words that come from the mouth of God. But again, we have to ask, are we doing that? Is that really how we live? That what I read in the Bible permeates my thoughts, my words, my actions, my attitudes? Am I living the Word of God? And then once more, look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, to see this idea of living the Word of God. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, where Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now, how can you walk in Christ? Well, it's an image, of course. It's a way of saying, don't just look at Jesus, start following Him, start walking behind Him. That's what the disciples did in the Gospels. They followed Him. They learned from Him. That's what we're to do. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And now notice what's going to happen if you do that. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's an image of a tree. If you want to, to have apples in two or three years, you need to plant an apple tree. And you need to put it in a good area where it can put down its roots. It can be established. It can be rooted. It will grow. It will thrive. And if you want to grow your faith, you plant the seed of the Word of God in your heart. And then you start living it. You start letting it take over your life. And again, you see, that's the idea. In fact, one commentator, Arthur Pazia, makes this point about this passage. And I want you to think about this. Paul reinforces a theme common in his writings 
namely the relation between theology and ethics. The relation between theology and ethics. And what that simply means is, does my knowledge of the Bible make any difference in the way I live? Does it? Am I living more honestly than I once did? Am I speaking more gracefully than I once did? Am I really putting forth efforts on the job to do the right thing more than I once did? Am I growing in my faith? And that only happens when we know the Word of God and when we live the Word of God, then our faith is growing. But let me point to one other factor involved in increasing our faith. In addition to knowing the Word of God and living the Word of God, I suggest we must pray to God regularly. Prayer is a vital part of our growth. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus has this to say about the idea of prayer. And I want you to think about the faith that is involved if you're going to do this. I mean, why would I pray? See what Jesus says here. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. God is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now in those times that I've gone to God in prayer, I've never seen Him with these eyes. And I've never heard Him speak to me with these ears. Prayer is an act of pure faith. Why am I doing this? Because I really believe there is a God in heaven who hears what I'm asking. He knows what is best for me, and he will do what is best for me. If I don't have faith in that, I'm not going to pray. And the more we pray, the more we are exercising our faith, the more it will grow and increase. It is a way of growing our faith. Go back to the book of James Look at a couple of passages there, again, on this idea of prayer and faith, the connection between them. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He just talked about how it is a thing to be joyful about when we come into various trials. And you're thinking, what? Rejoice when we fall into trials? I don't have that kind of wisdom, we might think. Well, James says, therefore, if any of you lacks wisdom... And that would be an area where we need it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And that's... Again, that's vital. We've got to believe what we're praying for. Uh, perhaps you've heard the story of the, the people that were going through a severe drought. And it was announced, well, this coming Sunday we're going to, to pray to God that he'll send rain. And everybody was in agreement. That's a good thing to do. And, and as they came into the building, the preacher said, we're canceling our prayer service. What? We still don't have any rain. Why are we canceling? Because nobody brought an umbrella. Do we believe what we're asking for? Do we believe that God can do what we're asking? And if we don't ask in faith, why are we asking? 
Again, that connection between prayer and faith. And then go to chapter 5 of the same letter. James chapter 5, look at verses 14 and 15. James 5, 14 and 15. And James says this, Is anyone among you sick? And at one time or another, all of us are. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You see, that prayer must be of faith if there's going to be any outcome to it that we're looking for. And so if I'm really serious about, about growing my faith, then prayer must become a regular part of my life. And if it isn't a regular part of my life, Maybe I should ask, why not? Do I not believe I need it? Do I believe that I'm okay without God helping me? Do I believe that? Because God is necessary every day, no matter what, and prayer is our way of accessing the help that we need. Perhaps you saw in the news this last week where Senator or or House Speaker Paul Ryan was talking about the shootings in Texas last Sunday. And a comment he made there was that we all ought to be praying for these people in Texas and praying for our nation in general. And and sure enough, he got critics responding to that idea of prayer. And they were saying, in essence, boy, it's so disappointing, you know, that, that he's talking about praying. Why aren't they working on things they can do instead of just wishing? And Paul Ryan said this, it's disappointing, it's sad. And this is what you'll get from the far secular left. People who do not have faith don't understand faith, I guess I'd have to say. And it is the right thing to do is to pray in moments like this because you know what? Prayer works. Well, to be exact, it's not prayer that works, it's God that works. But prayer is our means of asking for God to work. And while our country is growing more secular, and while it's a little more tense to bow your head in a restaurant before you eat that meal, isn't that a mark of faith? Not that we're doing it for people to see us, but because we believe, I need this. I need God's presence in my life even to just bless this meal that I'm about to eat. And the more we do that, the more we grow in our faith. And so this idea that we noted earlier, little faith, mentioned five times in the Gospel of Matthew, that is a problem for many Christians It's what keeps us from leaning on God more than we trust our own abilities. It's what keeps us worrying about things over which we have no control. It's what keeps us from separating from the world when the world goes off in sinful directions. We'd rather be popular than righteous. We'd rather have pleasure than to be sanctified. Our faith is little if those be true of us. But may our dedication be like that of those apostles that said to the Lord in Luke 17, increase our faith. But we recognize 
we have something to do if we want it to be increased. And right now, increasing your faith may mean obeying the gospel plan of salvation. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? And I suspect most everyone in this auditorium would say, well, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe it enough to act upon what he has said? Like Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do you believe that? Are you willing to turn away from sin because that also is commanded by our Lord and by his apostles that we separate ourselves from sin and that we confess his name before others? Faith. Do we have the faith? And this morning I'm hoping there will be somebody that will say, I do have that faith. I want to be buried with my Savior and come out of the grave of water forgiven, a new creature. He wants to do that for you. Do you believe it? And if you've done that, have you been faithful in following the Lord and remaining close to him? Or has the world pulled you off track and now you're not so close to him? You're letting the world influence you a whole lot more than the Lord does. You need to repent if that's the case as an erring child of God. And today we would say, come home, pray for forgiveness. We'll pray with you, we'll encourage you, whatever we can do, come as we stand and sing.